Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's time to kick off with Dirt and Spray. There's the snap, a spinning handoff, and it goes to Mitchell, who bores his way in. That is a touchdown over the right guard. The Niners have scored again. They're in the NFC Championship game. Mahomes in the pocket, throws a deep one behind the defense. It is caught. Valdez Scantling with the grab. He got behind Millett for 33 yards. Downfield delivery to Valdez Scantling. This is a Super Week edition of Dirt and Spray. Brought to you by George McCoy at WarrenAllen.com. Injured? Don't trust just anyone to something so personal. Call George McCoy at Warren Allen. Online at WarrenAllen.com. Super Week with Dirt and Spray on 1080. That was looking fantastic. The Fan. All right, 602 in the Rose City. Time for Dirt and Spraying on Portland's Sports Leader 1080, the fan. Happy Monday, everybody. How we doing? Swigard, welcome back. Thank you. How was the roadie? Uh, the roadie was fantastic. The pilots are on a winning streak. That's two in a <laughs> row, baby. Everybody feeling good. Schultz told me on Friday that they uh, they beat uh, Pacific, and I went, "Hey, all right." You got uh, we got Pepperdine back here at home Saturday night. There you go, two games in a row, baby. Little momentum. It's a big week. <laughs> Little momentum. Wednesday in Spokane against Gonzaga. Saturday back home against St. Mary. Is it not the worst about that sport when you're feeling down and out, and then your team randomly wins two games, and you went, "Oh, they figured it out." And then they go to Los Angeles and they lose both games, one of which getting bludgeoned by 30 points to the worst team in the conference. That's what it's like to be an Oregon State fan. Yeah. I I understand a similar fate. You know what that's like. I know exactly what that's right? like. Right when you think, oh, it's clicking. doesn't click anymore. More focused on Wednesday. Gonzaga is as vulnerable as Gonzaga has been in a decade. Yeah, I don't want to turn the opening segment into all WCC Gonzaga talk, but I find them interesting this year in the – they seem like just a bunch of role guys. They don't have a dude. Who's their dude? Who's the dude? Who's the Chet? Who's the Suggs? They don't have a dude this year. Uh, Well, their dude just isn't NBA draft lottery dude. Well, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. I, I know Timmy was a dude. But like, Graham E.K.'s replaced him. He came okay. over from Wyoming, and he's a dude. But... um. But he's not going. They they don't have a lottery pick. This they year. went a lot of years where it felt like there was that one or two, like yeah. every year. Yeah. So Nemhard's younger brother is their point guard. Oh, okay. He's a problem because he might be the fastest guy in all of college basketball. Sure. Keeping him in front of us is, will be a challenge. I mean, they still got Anton Watson. If you were to stack the rosters, we know that the advantages are all yes. <laughs> but they don't have. 
Uh, they don't have a Chet. They don't have a rim protector as they've had. They don't even have a Brandon Clark. Um, the guy that was supposed to be that guy went with Tommy Lloyd to Arizona. His name's Umar Balo. That was supposed to be the guy. Yeah. Um, and then they don't have another lights out shooter like Corey Kispert. Kispert was special. So Nolan Hickman can get hot, but they don't have one guy. It's like the minute he crosses half court, you better find him. Does does he few does does few does Mark few feel like he's long for that job? I, I don't know I why. Think I, so. I have like I, a I, read that. Where's like, he gonna go at this point? I don't know if he's going anywhere. I, I think it would be more about... He's in his 60s, isn't he? Yeah, he just got a 700th win. Um, he's been there for, what, 23, 24 years? He's 61 years. I just I wouldn't put it past somebody like him to just stay in Spokane his whole life and retire in I think years. so. The, the big question is, will Gonzaga finally quit teasing the conference and just go to a bigger conference at some point? Well, the Big 12's been calling for him. So you got to figure out how that works without football. My question is how much money... Well, it works for Notre Dame and the ACC without football. Well, but they still have their own football. Like, yeah. does Gonzaga get absolutely lost? If they made even half of the TV deal that the Big 12 is now have, wouldn't that that's still be well, more than Well, but I don't WCC. know what their share would be without playing football. Well, but I'm saying even if you took football out and cut their distribution yeah. in half, that would still be more than the WCC's given You them. would assume so. They can they can survive yeah because they're surviving on the WCC stuff they can survive on a yeah. lesser share of whatever the Big Twelve is so we'll see if um what happens I know that they're they're they want to expand and they're using having Washington State and Oregon State for a couple of years to buy them some time to find the right other schools to expand they would like to get I think they'd like to get to twelve actually total. Where are they at right now? They're at 10? We're at 9. nine. Yeah, okay. So that'd be uh, Because 11. BYU okay. went to the Big 12. That's right. So they definitely want an even number, whether it's 10 or 12. They want to get there. Hmm. Um, so, But they're not having Washington State and Oregon State for a couple of years doesn't force their hand to just jump at whoever's available. Sure. Well, the Pilots coming in on a two-game winning streak. So, yeah. So, everybody's riding high. Gonzaga's coming to town. It's no, we're going the, to Spokane. We're going to Spokane. That's always a big deal to go play we'll in We'll worry about St. Mary's on Saturday. Well, St. Mary's is they're, also a different animal. They're a different animal, and they're a horrible matchup for us. They are, and they just beat Gonzaga. They so, did. There you go. The Gonzaga fans weren't happy. I thought of you on Friday. I uh, got done with the show, and uh, Carl Weathers died. I was, that one got me. Apollo Creed. It Apollo got me too. Creed. It got me too. Chubbs. Yes, Chubbs. I put a I wasn't as up. much, I know a lot of people knew, uh, you know, it was Predator work, and I knew of it. I just, that that particular genre of film doesn't get me the way. Uh, no, I, 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 look, Predator's awesome. He's good yeah. in Predator, but he also, he dies. He's not Arnold in that movie. No. Uh, and you could also say, well, he dies in Happy Gilmore too, and that's, that's accurate. Uh, but. I think his his most famous roles Apollo are Creed. Apollo oh, Creed yeah. and Chubbs for sure. Yep. Apollo Creed probably number one because of how much more popular I would assume Rocky in the franchise is than Happy well, Gilmore. Yeah, Rocky won an Oscar, I believe. Yeah, but Happy Gilmore. Yeah, but Oscars are not the end all be all. In fact, we're watching Oscars be handed to movies that kind of like really somebody. What I mean, fish, it didn't it win on. Best Picture? It's not like it got like you know. Yeah, but I don't think that award show is. 
So you only had five movies get nominated for it back in the day. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, Rocky, I know is bigger, but also the ability of cult classics and to be on TV constantly, the way Happy Gilmore also is. Yes, I think Chubbs is right there for him. Yeah, I put a poll question up: who who is your favorite Carl Weathers character, Chubbs or Apollo Creed? I'll go check the results of that, but I would imagine Apollo wins. I would think so. But I watched Happy Gilmore with my 12-year-old daughter. There you go. <laughs> she had never seen it, and she she thought it was hilarious. Oh, yeah. Taking the fastballs in the batting cage, hitting his hand and getting it ran over by a semi-truck, <laughs> the alligator head that ended up killing Fighting him. Fighting Bob Barker in the Celebrity <laughs> Pro-Am. <laughs> she loved that scene. Did she know who Bob Barker no, was? had no idea. Had to explain that she one. Said, uh, what? Who is this? <laughs> Why is this old guy in this movie now? And I, well, that's Bob Barker. He just died. Uh, Does he, she know what the price is right is? Not at all. Oh, okay. Well, you got to think. Like, No, I know. But the era of stay sick, at home is you know, if price you're is sick right. at home at 10 o'clock. It's not price is right anymore, man. That ended 20 years ago. No, it's still going with Drew No, Kendrick. no, 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 no. Okay, first of all, yeah, it is still going. Nobody's watching that show nearly as much. Well, I know, but it's still there, CBS, 10 a.m. But people aren't staying home anymore and watching price is uh, right the way that we did because they have YouTube. And the internet. Oh, I understand. And TikTok. I just, usually when you're sick, you're just lying on the couch and you, man. Yeah, but you're 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 thinking you're thinking of it the way that we had it. Yeah, both of us, despite no. our age gap, we both lived this life of all I have is cable. I just had to get up and actually physically move the dial. You had a remote. You didn't have a remote control. Not when I was little. Oh man, I like to hear that stuff. L- that came that came more in my teenage years. Were you having a, the the like the twelve buttons? Because that was our first TV. I had to hit the button on um, the TV. No, not the buttons. When we got the first little cable box that was in it, that had the little slide clicker thing. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Not but, having a remote would be brutal. Yeah. That was when, you know, you'd go over to grandma and grandpa's when you were sick and they had a TV that weighed 8,000. It was a piece of furniture. Yeah, but there was an element to changing the channel that I used to like of either the button or the knob that you had to turn. Yeah, this was a whole, you know, <laughs> yeah, knob thing. I, I know. I remember it. My yeah. great-grandparents had a TV like that. By the way, the poll question was, what was your favorite? Not what was ah. the best. What was your favorite? And it's a tiny sample size, but Chubbs won. I get that. He's great in that role. He's awesome. I mean, he's great in general. It's all in the head. It's all in. You know what's funny is I remember that scene. I've seen that movie too many times to count. Yeah. But in re-watching it on, what was it, Friday, in re-watching it, he really leans into the, the lisp. Oh, yeah. It's all in the head. Yep. And if you look at his face, it's almost like they couldn't get a straight shot so they just took the best one where he was laughing because he is laughing with Adam Sandler. It's all in the hips. It's all in the hips. He just—I I couldn't imagine having to shoot that scene. But Carl Weathers passing away, and I, you know, for more recent work, I mean, he's done a million things. But uh, people were chiming in that his role as himself in Arrested Development. Oh, okay. And I—I I haven't watched all I of watched the, Arrested, all the Arrested, Development Arrested Development episodes, but I've seen snippets of him in that. And he basically comes off as the cheap guy. So he like eats something off the bone and goes, Larry, or not Larry, but uh, you know, you throw this in a pot and you can make a stew. And now I've got soup too. <laughs> and so that seemed like great. And then he was also in The Mandalorian. He was one of the you know more popular characters in the Star Wars Disney Plus show, The Mandalorian. So it's 
you know, sad we lost him too. But at least he had that last season. But uh, Carl Weatherstein, I didn't think it would do anything, and it did. I was kind of put down in the dumps a little bit. I like Carl Weathers. Yeah, that was sad as we were uh, we were heading home from Stockton. One of the all-time great mustaches, too, in the business. Oh, yeah, him, Billy D. Williams. Yeah, Billy Tom D. Williams. Yeah, yeah, your top three. Sam Elliott? Elliott's is in there. Yep, it's would, a little different. Who would the fifth be? Who is our fifth great mustache? we got Selleck, Weathers, Billy D., Sam Elliott. Who is our fifth great mustache actor? Mm. Trying to think of the 80s. 80s and Burr 90s. Reynolds. Burr Reynolds. Yeah. Can we come up? I don't think we come up with five better ones than that one. I would challenge anybody to get a better five than that. Well, uh, we can go through that if you want to uh, give your five most famous, you know, actor mustaches of all time. We have Burt Reynolds, Sam Elliott, Tom Selleck, Carl Weathers, and Billy D. Williams. I'm sure there's going to be one that somebody throws at us that we go. Oh, yeah. And we're going to have to think about if we bump anybody, but I'm not bumping Carl Weathers. R.I.P. Carl Weathers, a longtime actor, obviously famous for his Apollo Creed role. We have a loaded show today, Swigard. I, I know you're coming in with the Mondays, the travel weekend, the busyness behind the scenes. We've got a busy show today. We have four guests. This is, I think, the second time ever the show has had four guests. Well, it is super week. It, Yeah. It's super week with the super big football game. The super big football game, the NBA trade deadline. You imagine being so greedy as an entity, you prohibit people from just branding it what it is. We have to call it the super big important game. Well, you call it the super big game when you, if we're just talking about it, we can we refer can say to it. it as Super Bowl. But the minute somebody's paying yeah, for some access, yeah. you got to you got to dial it back. That's why our open say Super Week on the fans, yes. not the obvious name of what the game is. But it is here. And so let's run down the guests. We had some Chip Kelly news over the weekend break and also some pretty big college football news that happened like as soon as we got off the air on Friday. Prototypical 905 fashion. It breaks. <laughs> uh, so we haven't been able to react to the SEC and the Big Ten stuff. Jesse Simonton is a columnist for On3 Sports. He had the Chip Kelly news. He'll join us coming up here at the bottom of this hour at 6.30. At 7, I had forgot that we booked this. You had to remind me. Michael Lombardi, he's got a new book out. He does the uh, podcasting stuff. He's all over TV. Former NFL front office exec. He knows Bill Belichick. He grew up into that tree. Or not grew up, but he was, you know, made his bones in that business. And he's got a really good perspective. We'll dive into the Super Bowl with him. Uh, at 7 a.m. At 7.30, we will break from football. NBA trade deadline week is here. It's on Thursday. And so Sean Hyken of the Rose Garden Report will join us for the Daily Ticker at 7.30. We'll get his early read of if the Blazers are going to be active at all. And then coming up at 8.15, we'll talk a little hodgepodge of things. Uh, Oregon football is number three in the recruiting rankings. Uh, basketball programs in the Pac-12, Oregon, Oregon State. Oregon got a split. Oregon State got embarrassed in their second game and went 0-2 on the road after beating Arizona schools. So we'll talk about that and conference realignment stuff in general with Tyson Alger. So there you go. There's our four guests. It is Jesse Simonton, Michael Lombardi, Sean Hyken, and Tyson Alger coming up uh, on the show. Let's get it going. We'll start a uh, nice little road trip. Well, kind of. Not bad. We'll start locally. Dirt and Sprague on the fan. Got some uh, sorting to get out done or get done here. As somebody bring up a good point at the uh, Vancouver Ford text line. 
Must be nice to get six years of security because of a two-week sample that is the outlier of your success. I still can't believe they extended Tinkle because he had an incredible two-week run with a crappy team. He's awful. His road home splits, have you seen these? His home road splits are, like, embarrassingly bad. They they had, like, 38 points with eight minutes to go in the game. <laughs> they, they're awful. And, uh, you know, Arizona State is on a losing streak right now, but Oregon State might be the worst team in the conference at this point. That's that's where it's at. But, hey, the Elite Eight happened, and so let's give a seven-year extension or whatever the hell it was. Uh, I, I feel that common a lot. And you look no further than Washington State. I've said this before with the uncertainty of the football landscape, and we'll dive into that with Jesse Simonton of On3 coming up here at the bottom of the hour. It certainly feels like you should care more about your basketball program. Your women's program's fantastic. Ruick's got that thing in great shape. It's humming. Yeah, they had a down year a year or two ago. They had, they had two seasons kinda, that you'd say were a little some down. people transfer out, yeah. didn't have a, you know, the recruiting class wasn't where it had been before, but, but now you got, got it right back. You've got young players and veteran yeah. players. It's a great combo, and they're thriving. You should care about your men's program, and it's quite clear they don't. And if they did, well, again, this is the position they put themselves in. I digress. I don't know what to do about Sprague and Line. We'll get to some Blazer stuff very quickly here. Did you even do it on Friday? I, I totally did do it Friday. No, I, I'm well aware you and Dirt did not give your picks in. And so I'm stuck in a position of I'm dead last. And I know one guy's busy and the other guy's busy. It's not my responsibility to bother you guys for your Sprague and Line picks. I was told last week counts. And this coming week counts. Now, this coming week, definitely. No, I was told last week counts by the guy that keeps the records. Okay. That I had two weeks. What did you weeks. go? I went two and one. So you're one game behind me. No, but here's the thing. You guys did not participate. And I went 0 for 3. Well, I'm not going to make you go automatically 0 for 3. But what I'm asking is, I don't know what to do here. I It doesn't feel fair because of both of your situations, but also it's not fair to me. So should I just accept dead last and be the caddy? Uh, because I also don't know if he's going to text in this week. He's on, he's on junior business. Yeah. I, I'm not going to well, bother him. Well, it'll be him. easier this week. I will be back because our game is Wednesday this week, so I will be here on Friday. No, I know, but what am I doing about him? I'm not bothering him. I don't want to text him about this. Oh. I'm not texting him at all. I'll text him. I don't want you to bother him. I'm the show producer. A, te a text is not bothering. Uh, if he gets bent out of shape by a text, he can ignore it. Here's the thing. I kind of want you not to text listening. him. But uh -huh. he is not listening. Uh, I kind of don't want you to text him. I'd rather just see if he even thinks okay. about it. If you want to pick up two games and I think it would be make it interesting for the show, I think that would give me what a one game lead going into the final one. I don't I didn't know what I don't also don't have records. Oh, I'd have it to would go back be to on I think they're on I'll go back and look at the tweet. That's all that's the only way I can do it, yeah. So I'll go back and do that, but I think it was Yeah. I think you were 3 I think I was 3 games up. You were 3 or 4. I know that yeah. there was a gap there. Uh, we'll sort it out. We'll figure it out. But yeah, I made. I didn't want to make picks. You know my stance. Non-football well, season. God, what an awful weekend of. I picked three whatever. NBA games. Yeah, and I, you know, I was lucky to go two and one. But thankfully, I did. Uh, we'll we'll figure it out. I just thought, okay, I don't know what to do here. Should I just accept last? What we're doing with dirt being out? So for we so either long? do that, or we can give double points. Double wins for each for this one. coming weekend. So each okay. each win or e if you win right. a bet, it counts as two. Two. Okay. We yeah. could do that. We could do that. Um, 
and we'll see what he, if we get his picks. I want to ask you, the Blazers went on the road to Denver. They had two games in a row against I Denver. I saw the second half of last night's game. That's okay. They hung with Denver. They actually played decently on the yeah, trip. Yeah, they're a little shorthanded. Chris Murray was in the starting lineup. He was. Jeremy and Malcolm sat, sat out of the, the second game. Uh, they hung tough with him in the first game as well. DeAndre continues to play better basketball. Scoot had 30 in the first, not so much in the second, so it continues to be rookie. Have we seen this version of the Blazers? Have we seen it for the last time at home? Will there be a trade is what I'm asking. Mm, yes, because their next game is Thursday. Thursday. Oh, that's the day before the trade deadline. Thursday is the deadline. So whoever gets traded Thursday, oh. it'll happen before a game. I thought the trade deadline was the ninth. No, it's the eighth. It's the eighth. It's the okay. eighth. Yeah. Um, I think somebody gets dealt. I don't know how many, but I think definitely somebody gets dealt. Because they keep acting like they're not going to move anything. That's kind of the the vibe that they're sending out. Is like, oh, we don't really need to trade. I don't think they value the draft capital for this year's picks. So it's like a moot point to bring it up. They already have two picks. Yeah. I want to ask Hyken about that. How much this draft class sucking has kind of changed maybe the thinking of acquiring as many assets as they can or forcing that issue. But it certainly feels like, I mean, it's sitting on the fence, I think. They'd have to have the right offer presented to them swag for them to want to move off. Yeah. Certainly Jeremy. Jeremy is not a piece I think they want to trade. No, they would like for him to be a piece of whatever is to come. But Malcolm is the one that's like, eh, or Tease. Tease hasn't been shooting the ball very well as of late. Uh, so, you know, maybe it's a Tease or a Malcolm thing, depending on who comes calling. I did see Heat Nation is back. <laughs> They're back to telling us Portland should give them the positional player that they so they so covet. They need guard play. Rozier's been awful. They have been in a tailspin since that trade. And Malcolm Brogdon would make sense for them. But here we are again with the, do you give Malcolm for Tyler Hero? That's what Miami Heat fans are, are yelling about right now. No, I think if, if the Heat are desperate enough to come back and try to get him, then I would, Tyler Hero doesn't fit what they're trying to do in any way, shape, or form. Well, they're worse with him, too. Well, not, not Portland. Miami is yeah. worse with him. That's why they want to move that him. Is, that's not what anything that Cronin or Billups wants to bring in. Yeah, unless they're taking the same approach they took with the Dame trade. Can you flip a piece for a piece that you can flip again? I, at some point, we got to quit flipping. Really? You're already over the flipping, huh? Uh, and, and Well, at some point, Tough it has real to estate turn, guy. turn into something. Well, that's that's what we're talking about. Will this turn into anything this year? I don't know if it turns into anything this year. Because Jeremy's under contract and Malcolm's got another year after this. Like, they don't have to rush yeah, this. The Robert Williams, the third injury. He could do that in the summer. You yeah. don't, well, he, he's not playing. He's out no, the whole I know. year. I'd save that for the summer. We'll see. Somebody might get, I don't know. I don't know how desperate Philly gets, how long Embiid's going to be out if they're desperate for something. That's another team. It's like, are you going to get desperate? Because, like, he might be back, but if you. If you get the right seed, like you get the Knicks in the first round as a seven seed, if you fall to that and Embiid yeah. comes back for the postseason, Knicks are a tough team. Well, but if you're the seven seed, you got to do the play-in thing. True, but if you have Embiid, I mean, if Embiid is healthy and that's a big, it if, should be. But it's one game. 
or yeah. two games if you're the seventh seed. But, but I'm, I'm going to get Joel Embiid against who? Trey Young? Yeah, I guess but you could he's say coming, he beat him a couple How years much ago. time does he have to come back with I, that sort of thing? I And like I said, I don't know if they want to try to, you know, stay in a top four so they can be have home court advantage. I don't know. Yeah. If they're desperate and they feel like he's going to be back sooner than later and they don't want to give up too much ground, I could see him trying to do something. Well, we'll talk about this with Sean Hyken coming up at 7.30. Uh, we don't normally have a lot of guests in the first hour of the show, Swigard. That's exciting. It it's is nice. exciting. Well, this guy broke some of the Chip Kelly yeah. news. The Chip Kelly is unhappy and UCLA is unhappy and... Here they are. They're still together. Chip Kelly, we Anybody thought. Anybody be unhappy living in Los Angeles. I've been making this point. I think almost all of college football is generally unhappy. Yeah. Generally, they... most fan bases and entities are unhappy right now. And we'll talk about why that is as well. Jesse Simonton covers college football for On3. He'll join us coming up next on the Chip Kelly front and just where the state of college football sits. Jesse Simonton is next. All right, welcome back in. Dirt and Sprague with you on this Monday morning, 6.35 a.m., and uh, we've got a guest on 3.com, columnist for college football, Jesse Simonton on Twitter, at Jesse R.E. Simonton. Give him a follow. He's got a couple stories up right now at on3.com, including with Chip Kelly eyeing an exit from UCLA, the Bruins made a mistake not firing their head coach last November, and he dives into it. It's a really good read. Jesse joins us now. Good morning, Jesse. Thanks for hopping on with us this morning. I, uh, I really enjoyed the article, and I... I want to ask, like, how, how did we get to this point where a program doesn't want to coach, but the coach is trying to leave the program but can't get a job yet, and here you are in February not having any idea what the future holds between the two? Yeah, uh, yeah, thanks for having me, Brandon. I mean, it's UCLA's in a lose-lose situation right now, and, and I think that they, uh, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty in in a lot of these situations, but, you know, when that news leaked after UCLA kind of, no showed had a had a real terrible performance against Arizona State. All those reports leaked out uh, from some Bruins insiders that they were going to move on from Chip Kelly. That it had been you know six seasons. The results simply hadn't been there uh, with the expectations. He was kind of clashing with boosters. The NIL funds were insufficient, and then he goes and he really kind of embarrasses Lincoln Riley that very next week. They they have a huge win against USC. Didn't even matter that they that a lot of I think a lot of people forget they didn't lose to Cal in, in, in ugly fashion the very next week, but that UC, USC win seemed to save his job. Um, and yet, with everything that's kind of materialized after that that we can get into, it really looks like they should have pulled the trigger when when they you know uh, were itching to do so back in mid November. It felt like Jesse for us covering the Pac-12 out here that it, it just felt like that was like in, uh, inevitable to a certain degree that like this had run its course and it hadn't been very successful. Why didn't UCLA do the obvious thing? Well, I think for one, I, I'm not sure that they. I, I think that they, you know, you have a guy like Dante Moore and he's on your team and you're not really sure how that situation is going to unfold. And so there were ADs this past cycle that were nervous about opening up that whole free transfer window within your roster. Um, I think they also probably felt, hey, look, Chip has, has put together a really strong defensive staff uh, with the Ant and Lynn, you know, a young guy he brought back, brought from the NFL. What happens? They totally turn around UCLA's defense. They had one of the top 10 defenses in the country a year ago. Um, and the fact that you're going into the Big Ten 
next season in 2024, uh, yeah, I think there was, I think they were pushed towards maintaining that continuity. Uh, again, then he wins the bowl game, so they go eight and five. Doesn't look quite as bad, but everything that's unfolded since has just been disastrous. You lose Lynn to USC, Moore goes to the transfer portal anyways, and ends up transferring to Oregon. And then the top two guys who absolutely would have been U, uh, UCLA's, you know, main targets, Jed Fish uh, and Jonathan Smith, are now no longer in the Pac-12, um, and you know, no longer at their current jobs. Fish is now at Washington, and Jonathan Smith was one of the first coaches hired when he when he left for Michigan State. So this has all culminated into a very very bad no win situation. No matter how this plays out, if Chip ends up getting another job. Uh, be it with the Seattle Seahawks uh, or something else, um, UCLA is in a really rough spot. And if he stays, they're kind of in a broken marriage where clearly each party isn't exactly satisfied with the other right now. Now, Jesse Simonton's our guest here, National College Football Columnist for On3.com. He's got some good, uh, good pieces up at On3.com, including this Chip Kelly one uh, that he broke over the weekend. Let me ask you, if, if they don't, if he doesn't get a coveted OC gig in the NFL. I don't even know what's available. I have to go look through it. But if he doesn't leave for the NFL and he stays, is UCLA really going to run this in? Because if they start the season something like 1-5, and five, doesn't that kind of feel like the obvious first coach kind of fired in the Big Ten because neither likes each other? I guess I'm asking, if Chip doesn't find a job, UCLA is really going to try to stick this out for a few weeks into the season? Or is this something where you could see him coaching the entire year? I don't understand, I guess, the strategy of UCLA's side of this. Well, the, the problem with where UCLA is right now is as we sit here on, what is it, February 5th or, or, or so, whatever it is, early February, UCLA, if they were to fire Chip Kelly, let's say tomorrow, you know, that 30-day transfer portal window would then open up for their roster. So how much are you willing to hemorrhage your own team right now uh, heading into what's going to be a very difficult situation in the Big Ten next season. So if they do go in, if Chip does not get a job, which I, I believe the Seattle Seahawks is one of the only NFL coordinator jobs still open. Now the Oakland Raiders still have that that opening since Cliff ended up going to. No, they hired Luke uh, Getze. They got Getze from the, the oh, Chicago guy. That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I missed that. So, one one uh, situation that could be interesting to monitor is that Chip has been at least somewhat, I think, linked to the Boston College opening. Mm. I don't think that's going to happen because I do think that Chip wants out of college football, um, and that seems to be trending towards Bill O'Brien. But if Bill O'Brien gets hired, what does that mean for Ohio State? I, I, I doubt that that would be an avenue for Chip, but – he does have a relationship with Ryan Day. You know, I think Ryan Day played for Chip uh, at New Hampshire. So that that could be something to potentially monitor. Either way, I don't think that Chip is going to be long-term for UCLA. It would not behoove UCLA to make a move, though, now because they've been backed into a corner where if you did, you would lose already. You've already lost some of your best players on the roster anyways. How much more are you willing to kind of give up there? What was your read on the Big Ten and SEC announcing their advisory joint committee group evaluating the landscape of the future of the sport? What was your read on that? It's a power move by two power players. I mean, it's not a surprise that Tony Batiti and Greg Sankey are looking to kind of um, flex their elbows and, and make moves here. They're, they're Both of them, they, the, the two power conferences, my, my colleague Andy Staples has kind of nicknamed them Big and Rich. 
um, that they're, you know, they're, they're, the, they're going to be the power players in the sport. So if this was five years ago, that relationship never would have uh, happened because, you know, it was like ice and uh, oil and water with, with Sankey and Kevin Warren, but Petiti and Sankey have a much better relationship. They are going to, to dictate it and kind of uh, determine what the future of college athletics look like, especially um, because there is this kind of power vacuum right now um, with no commissioner and, and no real, you know, structure or guidelines from the NCAA. Uh, Jesse, I'll get you out of here on this one, man, because good stuff on UCLA, but the college football world is interesting. It's it's evolving, but evolving in a lot of people's ways, not not in the best not in the best direction. Do you think this ultimately leads to a Big Ten SEC break off of just them two, or do you think they're just looking to consolidate most of the money and most of the available spots and whatever expanded playoff they conclude with in a couple years? That that is absolutely a factor. I, I think the biggest thing for these for these schools is, is what does the future of college athletics look like in terms of structure, infrastructure, model, and I think that's the, the big focus that Petiti and, and Sankey have. And I think that would include a lot of those West Coast schools, um, whether it whether it is Oregon and Washington and U, U, USC and UCLA and, and even the Arizona schools that want to participate because uh, in this Super League, you know, you, you have a league like that that's basically a mini NFL. How many schools are really going to sign up to lose eight, nine games a year? Um, so if you kind of maintain what college football has looked like for a long time, but modernize it with, hey, these kids need to be on scholarship, but they need to be on some sort of uh, contract where, you know, the transfer portal isn't running wild. NIL becomes a, a, largely a non-factor for the majority of the players, you know, unless you're Caleb Williams. Um, and I think that would help alleviate a lot of the, the, the problems right now in, in college athletics. Have, figure out a collective bargaining agreement, admit and acknowledge that this is basically a mini professional league, but you could still maintain the modicum uh, of amateurism by you know, these kids are still going to school. They're still doing that, but they're just, you know, contractually played to pay a sport that, that is making all these schools uh, ungodly amounts of money. Yeah, there we go. Good stuff. Jesse Simonton of On3.com, national college football columnist. He's got some pieces up on 3com including this Chip Kelly eyeing an exit from UCLA and how the Bruins made a mistake not firing their head coach last November to get ahead of the hiring cycle and trying to salvage the portal and recruiting classes and whatnot. It's a really good read, and it certainly seems like a very bad marriage. Jesse Simonton on Twitter, at Jesse Ree Simonton. Jesse, thanks for the time this morning. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, there we go. Good stuff from Jesse Simonton of On3.com. Let's talk a little bit about this. The, the state of college football and just how ugly it clearly is at UCLA with Chip. That's next on The Fan. And some thoughts that the uh, the YouTube video is lagging. I hope that's not still happening for people on the YouTube stream. It looks stream. a little sluggish. Great. Awesome. <laughs> it's always nice when that happens on a nearly everyday basis in the 6 a.m. hour. Uh, sorry for that. I apologize on behalf of our station, uh, but thank you. You can also reach the show at the Vancouver 4 text line, 503-864-6326. Michael Lombardi, uh, former NFL front office exec. You've seen him on ESPN. He's got his own podcast. He's got a book out. He's going to join us at the top of the hour. We have a Super Bowl this week. Oh, my God. It's here. I'm a fan of one of the teams, and I'm miserable. Why? 
You have no faith. What do you? What? I ha- my team has to get past the greatest quarterback to breathe oxygen. It just it it seems he's no, only got one target that he's like cool. Truly, yeah. Okay, you're doing it too. Are you going to do that? You're going to tell me he only has one real target and that offense should get shut down. Okay, I, I've heard it before. Then he goes into Baltimore. Then he goes into Buffalo, and none of oh, that you're matters. You're going to be insufferable this week. Thank God I'm out for a few days. You know what? Thank your lucky stars. Your team isn't any good. It's not fun <laughs> when your team's good. It makes it more miserable. Uh, we had some news break on Friday. One of our listeners tweeted, "Is like I'm so pissed. Like as soon as you guys sign off, something happens." Yeah, I felt the same way. The Big Ten and the SEC announced a partnership, an advisory joint group. They're putting together to to examine and explore the future of college football and the final few years of the college football playoff. They have not locked into an agreement, and they want they might want to run this course until 2026. And then re-examine everything. Now, Ross Dellinger wrote a really good piece, as he almost always does on this stuff at Yahoo Sports. And he specifically cites the Pac-2, not the Pac-12, the Pac-2. He said at their meeting ahead of the championship game, the board of managers encompassing a president of each of the 10 FBS conferences in Notre Dame was poised to lead the 10, uh, the 12-team expanded playoff from what's known as the 6-plus-6 six six format to the 5-plus-7. So it's one less automatic qualifier a decision corresponding with the Pac-12's demise. However, the vote was delayed by Pac-12 representative on the board, Wazoo's Kirk Schultz, whose vote in format change is necessary. The decision must be unanimous to change the format for the final two years of the contract in 24 and 25. According to those with knowledge of the situation, Schultz introduced the CFP leadership, a proposal that seeks guarantee of voting rights and revenue distribution to the Pac-2's Washington State and Oregon State beyond the 2025 season, that proposal, presumably tied to his vote in a format change, was in no shocking development, met with pushback. <laughs> What's your read on the Big Ten and the SEC joining together for a, quote, advisory board? Well, uh, it, it clearly shows that they are doing their own thing. They don't worry about anybody else. But they know that in order to do anything unilaterally, they got to have at least some sort of head nod from the other conference in order to get it implemented. So the fact that they're talking, they may decide to do things differently. I don't know. Um, we heard from Jesse there talking about, yeah, Kevin Warren and, and Paul uh, Jim Sankey were oil and water. So if he and Petiti are getting along a little better, then... That relationship was, as soon as Petiti got the job, by all reporting, it sounds yeah. like he reached out and they so, joined together. Um, but no, you. I mean, they should be talking. This is how we're handling this. Their, their TV networks are different. Now the Big Ten, I don't think the Big Ten in the future will be dealing directly with ESPN much, will they? Uh, NBC, they got NBC, Fox. CBS, and Fox as their main guys. Now, there's probably an occasional. There's always because they to still be have Big the Big Ten, Ten Network yeah. to put their own stuff on, and that's a partnership with Fox. So I don't know how much they're dealing with ESPN, ABC. Yeah, we. I'd have to go look at that. Usually, they get that 9 a.m. ESPN game as soon yeah. as game day's done. I, I, I wonder where those will go. We'll see if any of those go to Peacock. How many go on the Big Ten That's Network? That's right. The Cock Network's going to be in full force. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. You have CBS Sports Network now. That do they figure in? Do they get a 9 a.m. game from the Big Ten that goes there? I, I don't know all the pieces and parts for the for the second and third picks 
after after each network gets their big primetime game. Well, something we could ask Tyson Alger at 815 and maybe talk about in the, the third hour of the show, Swag, is do you trust that these two entities are going to make it better or worse? Because I, I said this at the at the start of this. When, you, when USC announced they were going with UCLA to the Big Ten, I remember doing those shows in the summer with third, and I remember saying, like, you think this is over? No, 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 no. This is going to be Big Ten expansion more. And that ended up being his alma mater, even though in the moment he didn't, you know, felt like, okay, they're going to stay here. And my biggest fear was that these two entities were going to realize where they were and who they were and basically break off and form their own thing. I still have that concern. I think people poo-pooing that. And Josh Pate hinted at something. I think what he was hinting out on the show last night, for those that missed it, he says, and there's another domino that's probably going to fall next year after some legal cases that is, without a doubt to me, Florida State Florida and the State. ACC yeah. basically probably crumbling. And at that point, the SEC and Big Ten swoop up their power players. And now you've expanded from, what, 16 and 18 to maybe a clean both Well, 22. I also wonder if they'll be looking to replace rather than add. Do 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 you get to do a point? Do you cut a program for a different is program? It, can, is it feasible to have a 20-team conference? Not just in football, but in all the other sports. I, I think the way the sport is modeled now, and you're seeing this with coaching, Chip Kelly's a good example of this. I, I just think you're seeing in general, like, it's just such a broken situation. There's a lot to fix, whether that's, you know, player associations or unions of some sort and revenue distribution broken off in eight different ways. I don't know what it is, but But if these you have 20 two, teams in the SEC and you're only playing an eight-game schedule, you're only playing a third of the conference, well, how is that relevant? Petiti wants to expand the playoff to 16. That's the other part of this. He wants it to be 16 after Well, that's all years. fine and dandy, but what I'm saying is in the conference, if you're only playing a third of the other conference, how is that relevant to determine a single-game champion? That's a that's certainly a fair question to be asked. I don't know. I don't know where this is going. I think all of this is still a little confusing and hazy. But those two being involved together in cahoots that that would make me very nervous for the non power players of the sport. We'll talk with Tyson Alger about that at eight fifteen. Uh, but we start our second hour. The Super Bowl is here. Author and former NFL front office exec Michael Lombardi will join the show to kick off hour number two to give us a a glimpse into his book and what he thinks about this matchup. Hour 2, Dirt and Sprague on the Odyssey app and the fan. It's football's biggest week. I know it's Vegas. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. A lot of fun, but for us, it's, it's a business trip in, in the true sense. And we're going there to play a football game and, and try to find our way to win it. I think that has to be the mindset uh, starting today. The Chiefs are in their, their, what, their fourth Super Bowl in five years. While we might be under the radar, I guess, to people on the outside, I think the Chiefs are very aware that we're not under the radar at all. This is a Super Week edition of Dirt and Spray. Brought to you by George McCoy at warrenallen.com. Injured? Don't trust just anyone to something so personal. Call George McCoy at Warren Allen. Online at warrenallen.com. Super Week with Dirt and Sprague on 1080. We know we're seeing something special. The Fan. All right, welcome back in. Hour number two. Sean Hyken at the bottom of the hour. Uh, but we start the uh, the second hour of the show on the Odyssey app, 1080 The Fan with uh, author of the new book, Football Done Right, setting the record straight on the coaches, players, and history of the NFL, Michael Lombardi, former NFL GM, NFL analyst, and you can catch him on his podcast, The Real GM Podcast Shuffle. It's a really good listen for anybody who wants to dive into the NFL, and Michael is uh, kind enough to join the show yet again. He's on Twitter, at MLombardi NFL. Michael, we've got a Super Bowl this week. It's here, baby. I love it. Don't you love it? It's so good. It's a great time of the year, although it's it's a little bit like Christmas Day. You know, it's great that Christmas gets here. You open the presents, and then you realize winter's coming, and you got to deal with it, right? And then you got to wait another long time before it, you know? So, uh, anyway, but I'm going to enjoy it for the moment. Yeah, no, I think all of us are. It's it's a good one. Niners-Chiefs, a rematch from 19. I know America felt like they were rooting for the Lions-Ravens, but we get Niners-Chiefs. I, Michael, I'm not, I don't have your expertise in the sport. I try to be as knowledgeable on it and read up on it as much as I can. And I've concluded that for most people, it's just this simple. Who has Patrick Mahomes and who does it? Is that how it breaks down for you? Well, I mean, that's, that's a good way to start, right? You can't go wrong there. I mean, you've been proven right over time, so that, that's a good start. But I think more than anything is who's playing well, right? The Niners haven't played very good in two games, and yet they're here. Let's just break it down. They gave up 10 touchdowns all year on the ground. They've given up five in the playoffs. They've given up 9.6 yards per pass attempt in the regular season. They've given up 12.1 in the postseason. They've given up 4.1 yards rushing. They gave up 5.6 in the postseason. They haven't played good. I mean, it's just a fact. They haven't, and they got here. And that's a testament to their mental toughness, their drive, their, their, their ability to, uh, to, to find a way to win the game. But can that continue? Can that lack of being really good playing continue? That's the hard part for me. I'm having a hard time getting over it. There's no evidence to support you saying the Niners are going to turn it around. Yeah, it's, it's one of the rare, like, the underdog feels like the favorite and the favorite feels like the underdog. I, I, I was thinking about Super Bowls in my life, and one of the Super Bowls I have that feels the same way is that Raider-Bucks Super Bowl years ago 
the Raiders. Oh, you got to bring that up. I, seriously. I, I, you have to bring that up. You have me on the show and you want to walk down memory lane on one of my worst memories. I did. Are you kidding me? You're I, doing that to me I, on, yeah. on an early morning? Uh, yeah, Come on, yeah. that's no, not nice. No, we're good enough friends for me to say it out loud. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but like it, it doesn't happen very often where that, and that's kind of the feel here. I know the Niners are favored by what, less than a, a two points or what have it, but Kansas City coming and what, what? Part of the reason I think people are taking Kansas City is not just Mahomes. The defense is electric. It's fantastic this year. What, in your view, makes Spags so good? From somebody with experience and who I can identify this stuff, what makes Spags so good? Well, I mean, he attacks the protections, right? So what he does is he just doesn't blitz to call a blitz. I think most fans think, oh, they're just calling a blitz. No, blitzes are like a, a Patriot missile. They are designed to hit a specific target and attack the protection, the rules and the protection. And so he does a really good job of understanding how the offense wants to protect and then find ways to be deceptive within the protection. So that's where he's really good. Now, before we go all down that road, I mean, remember Buffalo, 37, they had the ball for 37 minutes in the last time they played, right? They had, they moved the ball up and down the field and frankly, you know, when you break that game down, you're sitting there saying, how did this happen? I mean, Buffalo had, Buffalo had, they had five drives of over 10 plays or more. They had 14 play, 11 play, 12 play, 15 play, 16 play. The last drive of the game was a 16 play drive that they missed the field goal. Plus Stefan Diggs dropped the touchdown pass. So like there's vulnerability within both defenses. And I think ultimately it's going to come down to which quarterback, go back to your point about Mahomes, which quarterback executes under pressure. The other factor of this game to me, as it relates to Spags and it relates to Andy Reid is the script, right? San Francisco has not scored a point in the first quarter in either, in either playoff game. And the, the Chiefs have outgained everybody, uh, have outscored people 46, 46 of their 70 points have occurred in the first half. So if they get ahead, if they play from in front, it's going to be really, really hard. And that's what worries me about, you know, I'm rooting for the Niners, but that's what worries me about that. This is author of the new book, Football Done Right, setting the record straight on coaches, players, and history of the NFL. Also, the gridiron genius. You got that book out as well. Michael Lombardi, former NFL GM and front office exec, NFL analyst now, and he's got a great podcast on Twitter, at M. Lombardi NFL. You talk about scripted plays, execution. That leads me to the coach of the Niners, Andy Reid. We know the pedigree there, the success. It feels like Kyle Shanahan, I said this to a friend last week, Michael, it feels like Kyle Shanahan's kind of Peyton Manning-esque. Like sometimes his, his over-preparing and his genius can kind of get in his own way at times. I don't know if that's a bad read on it, but clock management stuff in the Packer game and people like to kind of pin the Super Bowl against Brady and the Pats on him more so than Dan Quinn. There's an element with Kyle where he's kind of coming in, he's going to be doubted, his team hasn't played clean yet. What, what do you make of Kyle Shanahan going into this game, given everything you've thought about him or think about him so far in his career? Well, I, I think he'll, do, he'll have a good plan. I, I think, you know, it's the Mike Tyson line that hurts you, is everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. I think that's really where we find out how they handle the pressure, what they do. When, they get, when you get punched in the mouth and you have to react to it, Look, Kyle's, you know, Spagnola's worried about Kyle because he's worried about how he's going to attack him. He's worried about what, what areas he wants, the formations he wants to get. And Kyle is very good at formationing the defense to cause them to have to make shifts and adjustments within their calls. 
makes them communicate. And then the running game, right? Everybody thinks the running game is just call runs. What you're trying to do in a running game is get a half a man advantage in one side of the, from one side of the center to the other. And if you can do that, you're going to get a hole. And Kyle's very good at creating that half-man advantage, and that's where Spagnola, who has been run on. I mean, let's go back to Baltimore. Baltimore, fourth and one, they run power from an unbalanced look. Lamar gets 15 yards. The next play, they call power again from a normal look, and they get 15 yards. And they don't call it again. They have 16 rushes. It's amazing. They just kind of abandon the plan, and I don't understand it. Is that an element of this game? Like, it's not a sexy spot, but Trent Williams is now at left tackle, not Joe Staley. Is that like an underrated part of the rematch between these two from 19 to now? Is that the left tackle was probably upgraded and Kansas City's rush defense is, of all the things on their defense, that's kind of the poorest area? Yeah, I I think so. But I think the game's going to come down to the inside guards, right? It's going to come down to can the 49er guards protect and can they block Chris Jones? The last time they played in the last Super Bowl, they had a really hard time doing that. And one of the key plays of the game, third and ten, Chris Jones just blows up the play, and Garoppolo can't get the – he's got a slant wide open. He can't get the ball to him. If they get that first down, they're probably going to win the game. But they couldn't do that. I think that's the game. The game is inside what I call the paint, which is the area from one guard to the other. It's it's really – it's our basketball terminology of the paint. What is the paint? That's where you have to get in front of a quarterback – to make him have to throw the football, whether you do it to Purdy or you do it to Mahomes. That's always the essence of the game. Who do you have in this one, Chiefs or Niners? I can't. I want to pick the Niners because I work for them. I've won a Super Bowl for them. I love them. Yeah. I like Kyle a lot. But I, I have no evidence that says they've played well in the last two weeks. And the, the strength of their team, which is the defensive line, has not been the strength of their team. They have not played very well. You know, with the experience you have, Michael, the only thing I'm surprised or I guess I would ask you is can you not think of examples maybe in your own experience with teams or just going through the journey of the playoffs, as you mentioned, all this experience, where teams maybe kind of fit that profile and then can kind of piece it together? Because by all metrics, the Niners, they've kind of flipped roles, the Chiefs and Niners, from the last time they played, right? The defense is mid, the offense is electric. They, They both kind of changed identities in certain ways from then to now. Can you not think of any examples just in your own experience where teams maybe don't play the cleanest of games, but they escape and they advance and then they get to the yeah. big one and it can change. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately what it tells you is when you have toughness, when you have mental toughness and you have that resolve and you have that ability to, uh, to find it physical and mental toughness is so important. And I think you can clearly do that. Look, I, I want a Super Bowl in, with the Patriots. We were down 28-3, to three, mm-hmm. and we come storming back. Now, what's made that game so fascinating is we actually were cocky. We thought we needed two-point plays to extend the lead. We thought we would move the ball up and down the field on them, and we would need a two-point play to take it to a three-score lead. And what happened, we needed those two-point plays to be able to really uh, get back in the game. So the games go in five or six different ways. We cannot dispute the momentum factor of these games. Football done right, setting the record straight on coaches, players, and history of the NFL. I'll get you out of here on this one, Michael, because we appreciate the time. Uh, what was it about this book that made you want to write it? And what, as readers, can we expect to dive into and find out in this book? 
Well, what made me write it is kind of what happened in Detroit two weeks ago, right? 30,000 people show up at Ford Field to pay $20 for a beer to watch a game they could watch at home. And, you know, Fox never mentioned the reason they were there is because of the history of the heritage of their team, how much they love their team, how much they love the Lions. And it goes back to Buddy Parker, who invented the two-minute offense, who invented the two-minute defense, who invented nickel defense. And so – I just wanted to kind of share the heritage of the league, the stories behind the stories. I wanted to talk about the great coaches from present, from present to past and the coaching trees. Like, where do they come from? Where is Andy Reid really from, the West Coast tree? You know, where is Kyle Shanahan from? And so they all come back to what I call the White Oaks, which is, the, which is a coaching tree. And then I wanted to kind of talk about the impact of television that's had on this great game. And also I wanted to rank the top 100 players and pay tribute to some of the guys that I felt like were not getting their due. Sterling Sharp belongs in the Hall of Fame. You know, those kind of guys that I think are just not getting enough love. Uh, speaking of setting the record straight, and I, I think people that love football are looking forward to diving into the book, could you set the record straight as quickly as possible on Belichick and everything going on there? Because many thought he'd be the hot commodity, and this, this cycle has gone by and he's not going to have a job. Well, I think everybody's intimidated by his knowledge. Everybody wants to be collaborative. And when you have somebody with his knowledge, it's hard to create a collaborative situation because everybody's scared to death to go tell them what they think. Yeah. Good stuff. Michael Lombardi, GM Shuffle on the podcast. He's got the new book, Football Done Right, Setting the Record Straight on Coaches, Players, and History of the NFL. Give him a follow on Twitter, at M. Lombardi NFL. Michael, we always appreciate the time out here in Portland. Congratulations on another book. And uh, enjoy the game on Sunday. Thank you. All right, there we go. Michael Lombardi, author of the new book, Football Done Right, setting the record straight on the coaches, players, and history of the NFL. Swigard, we've got a Super Bowl. Yeah. Are you are you getting hyped for it, or do you need – I mean, you're different because you got skin in this game. This is this is your team. Yeah. Uh, thanks to Joey in here working on the uh, YouTube On the feed. YouTubes. Joey, hey, there we go. Joey hopping in early this morning. Look at him getting some coffee, that big bear over there. Growl. I'm feeling good. <laughs> Super Bowl is here. Let's dive into it next on The Fan. Well, when you have four guests on a show, it, it really feels turning and burning. It's like, hey, we're free. Nope, we got a guest coming up. And this is my mistake. I don't normally do four guests in a show. I see radio shows all across the country. They're like, hey, tomorrow's show. And they'll be like, full show. Two hosts are in, five guests. And I'll be like, when do you guys talk about yeah, anything? When do you discuss. Which is fine. Sometimes the guests are the information, and that's yeah. kind of all you need is your guiding light. I'd forgotten Michael Lombardi was Monday. I had mentally thought Tuesday. Uh, but we thanks again to Michael Lombardi. He's great. He is great. He was joining us live from the Delta Sky Miles Lounge for that's sure. That's okay. He's a busy man. He is. He's, he's probably he's, on his way to Las Vegas. I mean, he's a mover and shaker. He's been in the NFL forever. I didn't mean to make him hurt with the Raiders-Bucks game. <laughs> But in all sincerity, Swigard, how often do we get this matchup? We all feel different ways in this game every year. I mean, largely, y you get more consensus one way, and I think there are some Niner backers, but it's the rare, the favorite is the underdog, and the underdog is the favorite vibe. 83% of the bets, according to BetMGM, are on the Chiefs. 83. That is a staggering amount of percentage of bets being laid and it's probably largely Chiefs' money line because for many, it boils down to this. Mahomes, Purdy. Now, I would add a caveat to it. As dumb as this may be to some, I would say Mahomes, Butker, Purdy, Moody. And if you're not paying attention to the kicker battle, 
You're overlooking the plot here. This could come down to a field goal. Yeah, I think maybe the one reason people aren't looking at that as much is it's an indoor-controlled environment. That's okay. You think the Niners are feeling confident trotting that rookie out at 47 yards? Butker short of Justin Turner from Tucker, Balti- you mean? Tucker yeah. uh, from uh, Baltimore is about as reliable as you're going to get in the NFL. It absolutely is. And sometimes, as we've seen throughout the history of the game, that is what's going to decide it. I went through every Super Bowl yesterday. Not one. For any gamblers out there, quick note, don't do anything with the points. Don't take Kansas City plus one and a half. Don't take San Francisco minus one and a half. Maybe it's the first in history. No Super Bowl has been decided by one point. Not one. So just take the money line bet one way or the other. There you go. Uh, What for you is, what's your big thought thinking Super Bowl's here, it's Sunday, how you're viewing the matchup? Um, I'm wondering if how San Francisco is going to go about crowding Kelsey. Can you force Patrick Mahomes to go to his second and third options? How reliable are they going to be? Uh, and then without sacrificing the running attack on, on Pacheco. And then on the other side, can the Chiefs, how similar to the, and I don't think they are similar, but I'm not into X's and O's. Uh, the, the biggest surprise in the AFC Championship game was how well the Chiefs shut down the Ravens running attack. Mm. Like They shut it down. Mm. Can they do that to Christian McCaffrey? Well, I think they go about it a lot. McCaffrey's trying to get to the edge. Baltimore is essentially trying to run between the tackles. You know, the other thing about that, too, is, and it, it's not to discredit Kansas City. I'm with you. I thought they they played really good defense throughout. Baltimore also abandoned it pretty quick. They, they only did. had they six carries with their running backs, and that, that was the number one rushing team in football. I could be wrong here, but I don't have an opinion that Kyle Shanahan will only run Christian McCaffrey six times. You traded him for this. This yeah. is the moment you traded him for. And he stayed healthy these two seasons that he's been a Niner. He was awesome this year. I, I'm not going to overlook it. If I'm betting an MVP and I'm taking San Francisco because that's my team, you certainly wouldn't do this for taking Kansas City. Christian McCaffrey's the MVP. That that's To me, that's the no-brainer. If they win this game, it's going to be because they consistently ran the football. I mentioned it there. Trent Williams is now in over Joe Staley, who was playing his last game of his career. Michael Lombardi, a guy with knowledge enough to be in the NFL for over 25 years, told you this boils down to the to the guards of San Francisco. Can they contain Chris Jones, who George Kittle referred to as Aaron Donald-ish, and can they establish some consistency in the running game? I know people want to boil this down to Purdy, Mahomes, and many people will will choose whoever they choose to win the game based on that. I don't think that's the game necessarily. I also want to know, these two teams have switched profiles from 2019. David Lombardi, coincidentally same last name, wrote a really good piece in The Athletic where he highlighted in 19, the Niners were stout defensively, number two that year in DVOA, and about, you know, not mid-tier, but a little better than mid, like a top 10 unit offensively. Kansas City, elite offense, okay defense. Well, now it's 2024, 2023, and they've switched profiles. 
San Francisco is the most explosive and balanced offense statistically in the National Football League. Kansas City, not so much. Defensively, it's the reverse. San Francisco, especially in these playoff games, has been kind of mid, and Kansas City has been stout. I don't know what any of that means for the matchup. I don't know if it is as simple as saying guy has Patrick Mahomes wins the game, but it certainly is interesting with the rematch of these two teams from four years ago, how they've they've basically switched identities. Does that matter and pay any dividends at all when they actually roll and play out the game? Uh, maybe a little bit, but I think the game plans are going to be somewhat similar. I still think San Francisco wants to control and possess the ball own time of possession, just give Patrick Mahomes as few possessions as possible. Lombardi mentioned that, didn't he, when he said Buffalo had 37 minutes. And, like, largely when you get a team with time of possession, it's not often you see that they lose the game, and the Bills did. Can't turn it over. No, no, you can, and you got to make a kicks, even in the cold, windy weather. But I'm with you there. I think that's, that's a very, not sneaky, but that's a really big point for San Francisco is... Do they get McCaffrey going? Even if he's averaging three, sub four yards a carry. You know what Kansas City did against Baltimore? They didn't abandon the yeah. run. Well, you're still going to be Debo, uh, Debo Samuel's going to be involved in the running game in some capacity. Certainly. Mitchell will come in and give McCaffrey a little spell here and there so he stays fresh. His over under is four and a half yards. I don't know if he will. Yeah, it's I, I couldn't believe that either. Wow. McCaffrey's is like 89. And I think Mitchell's is for I'm this swag. I, I truly mean this because I think you're hitting on exactly the right thing. If San Francisco is going to win, it's going to be because they controlled time of possession and ran the football. And they traded an awful lot to go get that dude. Yeah. He is, I think, in most people's minds in that locker room, their MVP. And they got to put it in the end zone a few times. You do. But I, I just, I think overall, like they're not going to be shying away from McCaffrey here. They're not pulling a Baltimore. Kansas City kept running with Pacheco. I think Pacheco had 15 carries in that AFC title game. He averaged sub three and a half yards a carry. That's that's not efficient running. But you need it. You balance it out. San Francisco's in a similar light. We'll see what they do. Kyle with another chance. That 2019 season, by the way was Spags' first year as D coordinator in Kansas City. Had a nice little game plan. Held San Francisco to 20 points for the whole game after a slow starting offense that got it going in the fourth quarter. I'm just curious to see what Kyle Shanahan learned from that Spags unit, what he's learning with the tape from what he's seen against Buffalo and Baltimore and how how he can apply that. And then on the other side, Kansas City. Are they going to get Kelsey free? Is Rasheed Rice going to end up being like a sneaky MVP guy? What about Watson, the backup tight end? Valdez Scandling's usually good for one deep pass a game. What do you do if that's taken out? The defense for San Francisco has already talked about how they need to gang tackle Pacheco because he's basically a bowling ball. One hit is not going to take him down. These There are elements of this matchup that I think favor one side. But that be damned because the other games that Kansas City's gone into, those matchups have existed. And when the game plays, none of it matters because they have 15. And 15 is that awesome. And that defense is that stout. So it's the Monday of the Super Bowl week. We'll have a lot on this throughout the week. We'll try to go to San Francisco. We'll try to go to Kansas City and get a feel for it. Let's pause the football conversation. It's also NBA trade deadline week. 
your Portland Trailblazers are terrible, and many thought they would be moving some of these veteran pieces. Will they? Sean Eichen of the Rose Garden Report joins us for the Daily Ticker next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. In this wide world of sports, some stories can slip through the cracks. Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. This is the Daily Ticker, where Dirt and Sprague visit the insiders that are covering the stories you've heard about, and some you haven't. How'd you do that? I'm not even mad. It's amazing. The Daily Ticker with Dirt and Sprague on 1080 The Fan. All right, Daily Ticker time. It's NBA trade deadline week. Yes, the drama that all the national pundits love to talk about year-round. Why talk about great stories like Minnesota and Oklahoma City when every podcast can be about how the New York, New York Knicks or the Lakers are going to make the big trade to maybe give themselves the best shot to get past the teams that nobody wants to talk about? Sean Hyken, our good friend, a great friend of the show, covering the Portland Trailblazers. Rose Garden Report is where you can find his work on Twitter, at Hyken. Uh, give them a follow on the social medias. Good morning, Sean. Thanks for hopping on with us. Are you as excited about all the national podcasts telling you how the Lakers are going to get better this week? I haven't realized that 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 that's what they're talking about. I thought that I thought the new thing was LeBron was going to go to the Knicks because he put a towel over his <laughs> head after the the game that they played the other day. Yeah. Well, why talk about Anthony Edwards being awesome when we could talk about a towel that was on LeBron's shoulder? I mean, come on, Sean. What are we doing here? Are we covering the league or are we covering the league? Um Trade deadline week, I think with this group of Blazers, they're 15 and 35. Close games, fought hard, played, I thought, pretty well at Denver, but they lose both games. They'll come back home for a while here, but the trade deadline is this week. Everybody, Sean, thought this roster, you looked at the veteran guys that you got, 
in the Dame trade, you know, the post-Dame trade stuff, and thought, okay, there's a piece to move pieces. the, The intel or the noise, at least, is that not so big a rush to move Brogdon, not looking to move Jeremy Grant. Is that where it all kind of stands today as we go in this week? Uh, it's a little bit early to say definitively what they are and aren't going to do. I think it's. I think a lot of stuff is going to either unfold or not in the next few days. I def. I definitely think Jeremy Grant is not. Like if I if I had to guess, I mean, obviously nothing is a one hundred percent chance of happening. But I think Jeremy Grant is definitely like very very close to like like definitely not going to be moved. I would. That's that's where I would have that. The Brogdon thing is a little bit more interesting because, yeah, like you said, pretty much all season everybody has kind of assumed that that's the move that they're going to make before the deadline. But they're really just, from what I've heard, there just really hasn't been much movement on anything. And I don't think they're operating, the Blazers front office is operating from a from a position of we have to move him before the deadline. If they don't get an offer that they like, they might just wait until the summer. Do you think the draft narrative of the 2024 draft has maybe had to um, done some recalculation within the front office because most people are panning the draft and it appears they already have two picks in the first round? I mean, I do think it, it decreases the urgency of, of uh, you know, teams to just stack up draft capital because yeah, like you said, they're going to have their own pick. They're, probably going to unless it jumps into the top four in the lottery they're going to have golden states pick also and so the you know three picks in a draft that most people think is not the greatest like if you wait until the summer may you know and and teams are offering a first round pick you can get a first round pick in next year's draft which people think is going to even outside of the cooper flag thing where he's going to be the number one pick i think there are other people in that draft that folks think is going to be and, and again this is way too early for this stuff as far as like projecting the draft but right uh i i i do think that they don't view it as this huge sense of urgency that you know they need to get more picks in this upcoming draft sean hikins our guest here covers the trailblazers does an exceptional job on twitter at hiken uh find him on instagram as well and his great work at rosegardenreport.com i highly advise anybody looking for good coverage Subscribe to it. Sean is there day in and day out every practice. He's there with Meringue at like the earliest appearances of any media member for every home game. He does a good job on Twitter at Hiken. Uh, the Chauncey Billups discourse has been really interesting this year. A lot of people, well, not a lot of people, some people not liking him as a hire in general. And now we had gone two years without knowing if he's good. Here's year three. It starts out poorly. They lose by 62. And I'd say as of late, it feels like uh, the last few games here now, they, they've put together some competitive basketball where they're fighting and playing pretty hard against better teams, better rosters. What do you make of Chauncey Bellop so far? If you had asked me that question three weeks ago after they had gotten back from that early January road trip where they got blown out in six out of the seven games, I would have told you that was the first time I was seriously thinking about whether – I was going to be covering a coaching search in April and May, but since then, I honestly think that they've kind of stabilized and they have gotten back to kind of how they were playing at the beginning of the season. And now I, I think that I think there's been enough growth there and enough, you know, progress. Like it could have gone completely off the rails after that road trip, but it didn't. So I, I think it, I think at this point I I would I would lean toward there not being any sort of uh, change being made there. 
Are you noticing any, like when you watch them, I know we're not the heaviest of X's and O's guys, but like when you watch them, what have you seen differently that maybe suggests that this, uh, not turnaround, but more of a buy-in and, you know, playing their tails off and coming close to beating teams like Denver. Is there something you're noticing when you see them play the last like couple weeks? Well, the ball movement is kind of the obvious thing. After, after that road trip, I was looking up some of those tracking stats that the NBA uh, puts out and, they were, I think, fifth worst in the league in terms of number of passes thrown per game when they had talked at the beginning of the season about wanting to be a team that moves the ball a lot. That was obviously a goal that they were not reaching. But since then, they've I don't have the numbers right in front of me right now, but I you know, I think they've been top ten in that in that category since then. So that's something I think they made a conscious effort to address and it's uh and, and it's you know, at least so far, it seems to be working, at least in the sense of, you know, they're competitive in some more of these games. They had the win against Milwaukee, and then they, you know, they had that they had that road trip where, you know, they almost won the game in Oklahoma City, except for the weird stuff with a timeout. And then the next night, they beat Houston in overtime. And then they just had these two games back-to-back in Denver where they lost both of them. But, you know, going up against the defending champions, and they... Uh, they, I think, held their own, and they, you know, they it was it was a respectable showing in both cases. So, I think I think some things have started to turn around. I I'll be interested to see how the rest of the season goes, especially once maybe we get into March and April, and some of the younger guys start getting more uh, playing time. And so we'll you know we'll see how some of that goes. But for right now, I I I, th- I think people are kind of happy with with where things sit, people in the organization. How do you feel about Scoot so far? He had a pretty big game in that first matchup against Denver. He had 30 points, a career high. Uh, not so much the case in the second game, though. I thought he kind of turned it around a little bit after a, a bit of a slow start. What have, what have you made of Scoot so, Scoot so far and the development he has shown throughout the year? Panned a lot by some people. Uh, a random Real GM article saying, you know, it's uh, nobody's going to want to draft a guard that's sub-whatever again. And, you know, it's not a referendum on his entire career. Obviously, he's 19 years old. But what have you made of Scoot so far? You're starting to see a little bit of growth. You're starting to see him stack up some good games. And I actually was pretty encouraged, even though he didn't shoot well. I thought pretty much everything else he, uh, yes, last night in the second Denver game, I was, I was, I think, I think he played pretty well overall. It's just, you know, the, he wasn't making shots. And I think that's going to happen with a rookie. I, I'm like reflexively saying, you know, oh, this 19 year old kid, but he's actually 20 now. He turned 20 on the off day between the two games. <laughs> so you can't even call him a teenage point guard anymore. Okay. But, uh, but no, I think, I think you're, you know, it's been, it's been pretty rough. It's been pretty up and down, but I think over the last couple of weeks, you're seeing enough consistent growth and, stringing some good games together that I think I know, I know that the organization is, is happy with where things sit and they kind of knew going in that it was going to be a little bit of a roller coaster ride drafting someone that young playing that position that, uh, that it was going to, you know, it was going to be a little bit of a, of a uneven path in the, in the first year. But I I think people are happy with where things sit. Uh, I'll get you out here on this one, Sean. What, uh, what do you got cooking at the Rose garden report? Ask me again on Friday once I <laughs> once once they get through the trade deadline. The good the good news about the way that the schedule sits this year is that they have you know they had the game in Denver last night. They don't play again until Thursday against Detroit. 
So they don't play anymore until after the trade deadlines. So there's not going to be any situations where, you know, last year they were playing against uh, Golden State and Josh Hart gets pulled off the floor five minutes before the game because they agreed to the trade with the Knicks and they had to take him out of the starting lineup and everybody on the team found out while they were in layup lines. Like, I've never seen that before. But so after, after the trade deadline, I think it should be – I should have. I, I, I've got. I've got some kind of ideas for you know stuff I want to do for the rest of the season. But I gotta kind of figure that out after the deadline. It's just you know it was like get through the Dame game and then get through the deadline and then and then we'll figure that out. All right, there we go. Give him a follow on Twitter at Hiken. You can find his coverage at the Rose Garden Report dot com. Rose Garden Report dot com. A great uh, a great uh, membership. I, I'm a happy member of the website. So I appreciate the content, Sean. We look forward to everything that's going to happen this week. Trade deadline at the end of the week and uh, going forward from there. Thanks for hopping on with us this morning. We appreciate it. Good to talk to you, Brandon. All right, there we go. Good stuff from our buddy Sean Hyken covering the Trailblazers. Uh, trade deadline week is here, and uh, how noisy will it get in Portland? That's next on the fan. It's crunch time. Let's go! Where dirt and spray crunch the hot topics you want to hear. What's the pressure? Don't sit here and act like there's no... We get nervous teeing off in front of a gallery on the 10th hole at Eastmoreland. Crunch time. Brought to you by Crunch Fitness. With memberships as low as $9.99 per month. Find your crunch time in Portland, Vancouver, and online at crunch.com. All right, welcome back in. Somebody said uh, they think Hyken just told me that's proprietary, Sprague, when I asked what was coming up at Rose Garden Report. Uh, trade deadline week. It's the week that most people only pay attention to the NBA during the regular season. And uh, a week that may involve our Blazers here, Swigard. Maybe. 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 It's a real stink around this team, and I'm ah, tired of it. You I don't I, I I don't know when to really start honing in and paying attention. At what point do Joe Cronin and Chauncey Billups say, okay, this is our group? I'm waiting for that. I don't I, feel like they're there yet. Well, I hmm. I'm wondering if they're there in next year. Do you think they'll be there next year? Because I'm still not sure they will be. I don't know. I'm just wake me up when you say Okay, here we go. This is this is the group. This is this is Well, I was texting with a buddy yesterday that works in the media and we were talking about this team and we kind of talked about Ann a little bit. I He doesn't fit. Well, he doesn't well certainly you draft a point guard that is gonna be the guy that needs the ball. The guy that currently with the ball is not gonna have the ball anymore. Well, the ball sticks. When he gets it, it's a lot of one-on-one. He holds it. At least with Scoot, he's trying to move it. Yeah, I feel like Scoot is get people involved guy. Yes. Because yes, he cannot shoot at the levels of Anthony Simons. But this is when he pops, it feels a little different than when Ant is popping if that makes any sense whatsoever. Well, that's because a lot of it is Scoot is going to the rim and crashing. A lot of times, Ant he'll get hot from outside. He will go and finish, but and I've been a little underwhelmed with Ant this year. I got to be honest with you. I know he's been sick and whatnot, but I've been a little yeah. underwhelmed with him. And it's fine when Shaden's not available, but when Shaden comes back, don't you want to see? Okay, can how does Scoot and Shaden work? 
Yeah, what they would tell you, though, I mean, this is kind of their stance. This isn't me giving an opinion. Oh, this I is, know. The stance seems to be, well, you think it's bad now. You wait until it's just rookies out there. And I think a lot of people are like, yeah, we know it'll be bad. We understand don't that. Don't we kind of need to see it? I think if you're asking for a complete and utter buy-in, I think, y- you you know, nobody thinks Brogdon's going to be here very long. People are like, is, is Jeremy Grant still going to be here? Um, yeah, I just, okay, Mm. we'll see if they do something significant. I don't think so. The other thing, uh, Scoot does that Ant doesn't, he gets to the free throw line. Mm -hmm. Like when he's got it going, he gets to the line, you know, he had 12 free, this random stat, he had 12 free throw attempts. This was post the first Denver game. That's a lot of free throws in an NBA game, especially for a rookie. You might be asking, well, how much is that for context? That's more than DeAndre Ayton attempted combined in his previous nine games. Just like as a reference point, your big yeah. man doesn't get to the line. Ant doesn't get to the line. Like that's And that's not the most important stat, but it's underrated how important it is to get those points from the free throw line. I, I hear you. I, I think they're going to trade Brogdon. I think a team will be desperate. I think in Orlando... I don't, you know, it certainly doesn't feel like they're going to do business with Miami, but Miami would make sense for a Brogdon. There are teams out there that I think may get desperate enough. Now, what's the asset? It Young player and maybe a 25 pick is the best hope, right? Is uh, For Malcolm Brogdon, I can't imagine you're getting much more than that. Yeah, I like just, Brogdon, but he's Malcolm Brogdon. Just depends. and And I haven't paid that much attention so i don't know what the market is that's okay it seems like that's everybody i don't know (laughs) if there's you know teams you know the only team i know that's uh, a little bit more desperate maybe than they would have been would be philly based on Embiid, and that only matters if they're trying to stay in a top four seed yeah if they're looking to kind of Tread water, get him to be out maybe a month or so well torn meniscus procedure Seems like a lot longer, but I, I guess yeah, I don't know. we'll have to wait and see. They didn't want to announce year over because for obvious reasons, but yeah, maybe it's Philly. Maybe Philly gets desperate here. They also could be just keeping everybody. And Sean alluded to at the end there, like this idea, the young guys will get minutes more. It's like, so are, you're already telling me, and not that we know they're not tanking, but so at some point you're just going to, injuries will start popping yeah. up for all the vets. Yeah. Just, and I don't want them to make a deal just to make a deal. No, obviously, no. Brogdon I don't. I don't think that's play, the position Grant they hold. Play, you know, swag. They got Brogdon yeah. not to do that. They got yeah. Brogdon for legitimate value pieces. Yep. So will they move him? I, I tend to. I'm going to put the eggs in yes that somebody will come through and be a little desperate and offer you something that you want to say yes to. But he's got another year into the deal, and right now the tea leaves indicate. Grant certainly staying, and Brogdon staying. And so it's just it's left with us to continue to watch this team. They have been more competitive. They fought more and stayed in some of these games. Um, still not winning them. And we play the games to win the games, according to uh, Herm Edwards. So we'll see what they do. Deadline is on Thursday. Anything breaks between now and then, obviously we're going to talk about it. But uh, the Blazers with their back-to-backs against Denver – and now they come home and they wait till Thursday to play their next game. We got a loaded final hour to get to. I got some NFL odds and ends to kick off the final hour with. Tyson Aldridge is going to join us at 8.15. After the end of a good fight, 
You deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Loaded final hour, Dirt and Sprague on YouTube, Odyssey app, and 1080 The Fan. This is a week for quality food and beverages. I don't like beans in my chili. That's a fair debate, because the ori- original chili did not have beans in it. What do you mean, the ori- you were there when they created the <laughs> original was. chili? Was. On the Old West? Yep. Expensive commercials and stupid questions from reporters covering their first sporting event. Is your mom picking you up after the Super Bowl? This is a Super Week edition of Dirt and Spray. Brought to you by George McCoy at WarrenAllen.com. Injured? Don't trust just anyone to something so personal. Call George George McCoy at Warren Allen. Online at warrenallen.com. Dirt and Spray on 1080. I'm here so I won't get found. The Fan. All right, welcome back in the final hour of the radio program on a Monday morning. It's been a busy one. It has. Jesse Simonton of On3.com had the Chip Kelly news that Chip Kelly and UCLA hate each other, but they're in a loveless marriage that they can't get out of. Uh, Unless the Seattle Seahawks come calling. With old Mike McDonald and uh, pick Chip Kelly as the OC, it appears it is going to be the ugliest, loveless sex of your life next season, Bruin fans. Isn't that what Los Angeles is famous for? Uh, Largely, yeah. Uh, Yeah, being numb to everything. Um, So we talked with him at 630 and the state of college football in general. At 7, we have Michael Lombardi, former NFL GM. He's got a new book out, Football Done Right. He joined us live from the Delta Airlines Sky Miles Lounge. I'm sure he had a great little brunch situation in front of him, maybe a little drinkski, huh? I think he was having a mimosa. I hope he was. Is he a mimosa or a Bloody Mary guy? Uh, Lombardi strikes me as mimosa. Okay. I think he'd complain about the messiness of a Bloody Mary. And then you spill it, and then you got that red dot. What's and the celery for? Why is all this food on? I got a cheeseburger <laughs> on my drink. What's going on here? I don't like it. Too much business, too much noise. 7.30, we talked with Sean Hyken of Rose Garden Report. It is NBA trade deadline week, so a little peek ahead. And Tyson Aldrew will join us coming up here uh, at 8.15. If you miss any of the hours of the radio program, you can always catch it at 1080thefan.com under our podcast section. And you can reach the show at the Vancouver Ford text line, 503-864-6326. They treat you right before, during, and after the sale. Visit them for more information at vancouverford.com. And uh, just a reminder, coming up here just a couple weeks, you can hang out and play golf indoors. Don't worry about that rain, that cold weather. We have uh, the 1080 The Fan Fan Winter Golf Classic out at X-Golf Tualatin and Vancouver Tuesday, February 27th. It is a threesome, not a foursome, a threesome. Four makes it weird. Uh, And you can choose from either the noon round or the 4 p.m. round at either location. 
We'll have Danny and Dusty live from Vancouver. Isaac Atsuk will be live from Tualatin. The winning threesome will win a free foursome at this summer's 10th annual Fan Golf Classic. The last place threesome will get a free lesson at X Golf. So go to 1080thefan.com if you're interested and register your team. There you go. Um, let's start the final hour. I caught this on Friday and I thought it was hilarious. Did you? I, I guess I missed this. Colin Cowherd sent a entire sports city into a panic. He had some intel on Caleb on his show. They picked it up. They repurposed it. They brought it back the next day, and then they got Colin on their drive time show in the afternoon. He just went on for 25 minutes. I listened to the whole thing. It was actually really good. Like, if you're a Chicago Bears fan, it was fascinating the read that is on Caleb Williams going into the draft because you remember a few months ago, there was that random story that Caleb wants things differently than any other quarterback. He wants, like, capital in the ownership and all yeah, that. Yeah, there was something, and we couldn't figure out if that was just his dad spouting off. It or... was his dad. Yeah. It's what it sounded like, not Caleb. Yeah. Then Colin referenced that maybe Chicago isn't the place Caleb wants to be, and so, you know, he's a D.C. kid. The D.C. commanders just hired Cliff Kingsbury, right. who left the Vegas job because of, quote, negotiations to go be the O.C., for Dan Quinn in Washington, D.C., that maybe he'd pull an Elway or an Eli. Colin went on Chicago's station and said that's not true. But, man, the ability to say one thing, offhanded comment, to send an entire sports city examining an audio clip. What did he mean? What does this mean? Does this mean what I think it means? Or does it mean something I don't think it means? It interesting how nervous and ready Chicago kind of is for this pick with Caleb Bloom's looming. Will DC make this massive can't say no to a trade or is Chicago so entrenched in take him Caleb one that nothing will matter? Well, are we, I'm curious. I think Chicago, the, the more quiet they are, the less that comes out, the more mystery that surrounds, are they keep, are they going to roll with Justin Fields? Trade the pick, I think it plays into their benefit. Well, their coach should too as well, right? Eberflus, he's not an offensive guy, and he had a bad year. So, but I'm just thinking from the GM standpoint and the team standpoint, they are probably all tightened up. No, they cannot have any leaks whatsoever because if they do decide to trade the pick, anything that leaks out diminishes the value. Like if they, if people don't know that you get up that Thursday morning and where are they this year? Cleveland? Uh, I don't know where the draft is. I forget is. where they're going this year. Uh, but if nobody's a hundred percent certain, are they pay, are they keeping it? If they keep it, are they taking Williams? Are they taking a non-quarterback? Are they going to trade it? You might get an absurd deal. It's in Detroit. Well, that's right. It's in Detroit. You could get an absurd offer quite possibly if another team panics. So Colin did add on the Chicago hit that they're going to get multiple, like four firsts, five first yeah. type offers for them. He could be amazing, but like that's also a giant haul. Four to five firsts. Yeah. I think the Bears need so much more help at so many other positions that you have yeah. a guy yeah. that is serviceable that can, if you put some things around him, 
like most teams. So you are you talking about fields here? You're saying yeah. you flip the pick, you get the assets. I'm like, if you get an absurd enough offer that maybe you get a, a player now and three or four first, you know, and a bunch of picks and you're like, all right, there's, you know, I, I haven't looked at how deep the draft is. I know it's deep at wide receiver. Uh, so you can definitely get one of those, maybe Let's two. Let's see, but quarterback, receiver, linemen seem to be pretty decent. You know, everything else is kind of up in the air. So if you get a haul of picks and you can load yourself up with young talent, is Fields good enough with all sorts of elevated talent around him to to take you where you want to go? Let me flip it on you then, okay? Cause you, you certainly can. Yeah, absolutely. But let me flip this now. Same scenario, everything you threw out. You get the four to five first, right? And you say, well, Caleb's good. This is amazing, and maybe we use this to benefit Justin Fields. They have DJ Moore. Their other pick in many mocks has Roma Dunze. Mm -hmm. Like, you could have – and by the way, that was a hot take you dropped the other day before you dipped for Stockton, and listeners noted it. You saying Roma Dunze is going to be the best receiver, the number one receiver from day one in Chicago? I don't necessarily agree with that opinion, but I think he certainly can work his way to that. But the DJ and Odunze are awesome. Is Justin good enough? And if Justin isn't good enough, isn't that going to cost him the head coaching job? Isn't Eberflus going to get fired? Okay, well, now you've yeah, got a fired it, coach. Yeah, but is it his call or is it the GM's call? Well, but okay, but that's the point. Ryan Poles is the general manager. If he decides to take the trade and then use those picks and keep Justin and it goes wrong, you're going to have to fire the coach, so now you're overturning your staff. And then what's what's Kevin Warren of the Bears going to think of Ryan Poles if that fails? He's he's going to have to maybe reevaluate it. Chicago's not going to end up being any good if that happens. And now here you are in Chicago. You got these picks, but you've shown no consistency. None. I was blown away to learn the Bears have one winning season in 11 years. One. Like, you have to try to be that bad. That's <laughs> That's terrible. Yes. And they were able to accomplish that feat. I don't know why they didn't fire Ibraflus. I would have much preferred an offensive guy. I think that goes without saying, especially in a draft where you may be drafting a quarterback. You think DC hired Cliff Kingsbury because of his offense or because of his offense and ties to Caleb? I'm wondering, I think a lot of people are concluding because he's a DC kid. The ties to Caleb don't hurt, but I... <laughs> If that's the only reason they're making the hire, then that's pretty scary. His offense in Arizona was very meh. He averaged 23 points a game. Meh. <laughs> it's not like he's got the most exciting offense. They're doing things differently in D.C. too, Swag. There was a report that Ben Johnson didn't interview well uh, with the D.C. commanders, and he really, like, to save face, said, oh, I'm coming back. I don't finish business. But he didn't interview well. Well, his side of the camp got word out and said they're basketball people and they don't know what the hell they're doing because Josh Harris is now the owner of that franchise. They've brought in uh, uh, Bob Myers as like a consultant for team building, even though he only has, you know, NBA experience. So you got a both sides thing. This organization doesn't know what they're doing. Well, this coach didn't interview well. The whole draft, man, it's a couple months away, but it's also so busy and loud right now. Did Kingsbury get hired because they're going to make this all-in deal to go get Caleb at one? Certainly reasonable to conclude that. Chicago, are they going to move Justin Fields? Say no to the sweetheart deal of maybe five first-round picks and keep that guy uh, and, and or maybe take the trade, 
and move out of one and not take K. I don't know. I have no idea where it's going, but man, is it loud and interesting at the top end of this draft. Jaden Daniels, is he the second quarterback? Is he better than Drake May? How'd you feel about Drake May this year? Did he impress you? Like so many ways that this is going to go in this draft. And we just have to, as Samuel L. Jackson said, hold on to our butts because it is ever evolving in that, in that, uh, those top three picks area of the NFL draft. Tyson Alger, I five quarter. He joins us next hodgepodge segment with Tyson Alger on the fan. Well, falling for the big 10 is not going to be the easiest thing for lifelong Pacific Northwest sports fans, but it must be done. And the man who wrote about that at his website, i5corridor.com, along with many other great articles that you can find, is our good friend Tyson Alger on Twitter, at Tyson Alger. And he joins us now, the creator, editor, lead writer, i5corridor.com. Good morning, Tyson. Nice to have you back on the radio program. Uh, What have you made of the 2024 recruiting cycle? You may not be the biggest recruiting guy, but Oregon being number three certainly is something we're not used to seeing. They've been good. Being number three behind Bama and Georgia is uh, kind of a next-level m- moment for them, is it not? Do we have him there? or uh, Swag, are you not there? Or <laughs> Hello? Am I all alone here? Uh, you got anybody? Uh, yeah? Hello? Hello? Ah, we weren't turning you up for some reason. Um, <laughs> did you hear my question? That was the weirdest I, I, start to an interview I've ever had in my life. I, I I did hear the question, and let me tell you what my answer was eloquent, and I don't know if I can <laughs> I don't know if I can quite repeat it. Um, but, uh, that's but, it, you know what? It's okay, Tyson. I I didn't hear anything, and then I look up, and swag is not in the room. I'm not sure <laughs> if we're even back yet. I was very confused. I'm sorry about that. What was your answer to what Dan Lanning is doing right now in recruiting? Yeah, you know, it it was one thing when Mario Cristobal was in Eugene and the Ducks started to kind of consistently establish like those top 10 classes, but it was always kind of peaking around that seven, six-ish position. And so you kind of wondered what Oregon would become when you infuse kind of the, the Big Ten stability behind it. And I mean, I, you know... I, I knew this was kind of what Dan Lanning was good at, and this is the type of staff he assembled, and they, they have a very um, uh, progressive NIL uh, collective going as well. But for them to be right behind Alabama, you know, number three in the country is quite something. And, you know, I, I go back to Dan Lanning's uh, introductory press conference where he was like, you know what, we are going to win every recruiting battle in the state of Idaho. And uh, and then that's where they pulled the five-star kid from this weekend, which is just kind of uh, a funny example of of the battles they're winning, winning because that's that was a a Gatlin Bear. He was uh, he was down to Oregon and Michigan, and he picks Oregon, and you know it's just another kind of rich for the for the Ducks to have going into the next uh, era here. Yeah, it's it's a great name for recruiting standpoint to have a Gatlin Bear in your recruiting class. But I want to ask you, not this isn't to suggest the power play or the power dynamics in Eugene. But I, when, when the PAC 12 was crumbling, I mean, we were live on the air in the middle of all of it. Like, Oh, it looks like they're going to agree to this. And then like an hour later, Nope, they're all bailing. They're going to the big 10. The conference is dead. How, how pivotal or important, not that Mullins doesn't have the experience for it or anybody running the athletic department or university itself. How pivotal was Dan Lanning's voice? You think is saying, 
no, 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 we got to go to that conference. This one now, as it currently exists, does not make sense for us. We have to go. How pivotal do you think Lanning's voice was in some of those conversations? Oh, I, I think it certainly helped. I, I mean, he's he's the one that's having to compete and compare himself against the teams in those other conferences. Um, nothing against Oregon State, but I, I just think the battles that the Ducks were in were just a little bit different. And, and so I, I think, you know, having to go out recruiting and, and defend what the Pac-12's Pac position was um, against everything Ohio State had going for it, against everything Alabama had going for it, against all the teams that Oregon's going to be judged against. I'm sure Dan Lanning was 100% champion. Let's let's get to the Big Ten. Like like let's be on the same equal playing field. I I think that's the big thing for the Ducks is they believe that if they're on an equal playing field that they can compete or or beat anybody. And right now, since that ascension to the Big Ten, we're kind of seeing that on the recruiting trail. Like it's it's insane that they're number one in the Big Big Ten in recruiting right now, especially when you kind of look at the history of how Oregon's recruited. I know it's been, you know, the the main thing since Cristobal took over, but this is like a seven year transformor transformation into an absolute national recruiting power that the Ducks have done and now they're competing and beating the, the teams on the biggest stage for it. Tyson Aldridge is our guest here. I five corridor dot com. I dash five corridor dot com is where you can find his website. He's on Twitter at Tyson Alger. Yeah, I talked with a guy from On3 earlier this morning, Jesse Simonton. He had the story on Chip Kelly and UCLA basically being in a loveless, sexless marriage that's just they're forcing themselves to stay in. And I think anybody that's been in that situation in real life realizes how miserable that is. And so UCLA is in a really down spot. Many people wondering about Lincoln Riley. We don't know what the Pac-2's future is now that the SEC and Big Ten are merging. What is Tyson Alger, a guy who has been covering college football for, for quite a long time and now running his own website, what do you make of the conference realignment as it's all unfolded the last, like, seven to eight months? Well, you know how I said I was pretty eloquent earlier? Um, my answer for this one is it still just sucks, man. Like, I, <laughs> like I, this week we started kind of promoting – positive stories about why you should be looking forward to the big 10, because obviously it's the new future for Oregon. And I think there are some absolute great things for the ducks to look forward to, but has a hole in college sports. I mean, I, I still don't enjoy this. I don't think this is great for the longevity of, of the game. I think it's going to be really good for the teams that are really rich. And I think that list is going to continue to narrow down until I mean, every t- every time it seems like it gets stable, it just seems like it unstabilizes and then it, it thins down and the money just keeps going to the top. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of fake empathy and, oh, we feel sorry for this school and this school and this school and we're going to miss this rivalry and that rivalry. But then they keep destroying them. And so, you know, as somebody whose website really kind of focuses on the storytelling and history and, and kind of the, the people aspect of sports. Like I, I still don't like this. Like I still think there's going to be some great stories to tell. And that doesn't mean like the futures of either of these programs is, is are done or there's no more stories there, but it just, it just sucks. It sucks, man. It, it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I think that's well put. I think a lot of people feel that same thing. You know, if you and me can, if we can piece together like $253 million, you and I could buy the athletic department. You know that, you know, that's a possibility, right? You know, I think if you and I could piece together $200 and $300 million, um, let's just like buy Hawaii or, or, you know, an Island or something and get out of this industry. 
<laughs> that might not be a bad idea, actually, relaxing on a beach. We'll be Andy Dufresne and, and Red. That'll be us. We'll just be salvaging boats and living in Mexico, enjoying tacos and margaritas. Uh, you, you're also doing an exceptional job covering hoops. Oregon State does the prototypical Oregon State hoops thing. They win two big games and rah, rah, they're back. And then they go to UCLA. They hang, but they lose. And then they get their asses handed to them by USC, who at that point was the worst team record-wise in the conference. I think I think Beaver fan is moving past the season. I think the season's done for them. I think many of it's baseball season in Corvallis. What do you make of Oregon? Kind of an interesting team. I think they're good, but then they, they lose that game to UCLA. I know they got delayed by a Biden motorcade here, but what do you make of Oregon? They're still near the top of the conference, but the conference also feels very mediocre. Yeah, it's, it's a weird Oregon season because I, I feel like there was a fair amount of goodwill in the non-conference when they had all those injuries again, but then they were winning, um, especially games that they probably, you know, would have had excuses to lose. And I, I think there's just been such a, a down in, in basketball in Eugene for the last few years that everyone's kind of wanting to give Altman the benefit of the doubt just to see if there's any magic left there. But they got most of their roster healthy now, at least, you know, they haven't followed Dante back. They have Nate Biddle back. And it really seems like it's kind of, I don't know if they, if that's just having two seven footers back has, has completely changed their flow, but it's just been very inconsistent basketball the last couple of weeks. And, you know, losing to that UCLA team, that's a tricky one because Polly's a tough place to play. There was the Biden motorcade thing. There's the fact that it's still UCLA and there's talent there, but that's that's a loss that's really hurtful to them for, you know, an at-large bid in the NCAA tournament. So, you know, you're kind of looking at this thing. There's a month left to play. Altman's going to have to pull off one of his kind of Altman magic runs to, to, to make the tournament here, whether it's winning kind of out in the regular season or putting together a run in the tournament. And just with the consistency that they've shown, I don't know if that's likely. And if that's the case, you're kind of staring down three straight seasons of NCAA tournament misses. That's coupled with the struggles of the women's team. Like it's, it, it, it feels like this is kind of make or break time for him because especially as you're moving into the big 10, like Altman 64, I think, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's just I, I still think he's a really good coach. I think he's one of the better coaches in college basketball. I just don't know if it's working <laughs> right now. And um, well, let, let me let me take that back. I I I think this is the time where he's got to prove that it's working because you know Oregon, as you see with the success that they're having on the football field, like this is this is too good of a program right now to have two basketball teams that are consistently missing the tournament. Well, let me let me ask you on that cuz he seemed I can't remember if it was 2 years ago or 3. It's it's somewhere in that range I want to say. And maybe it was last year and my brain's just muddled with all kinds of things right now. He seems curmudgeonly to this world of college hoops, right? He's he been the knees, he's fundamentals. I want to teach fundamentals like if you gave him the option with the same amount I I almost wonder if he's in the back of his brain, like, hey, yeah, Creighton sounds great. I get four-year guys. I don't have – the one-and-done has been interesting. He gets these one-and-dones, and either they get injured early or they don't really play all that much. Like, you think of a couple names that have gone through there lately. I, maybe I'm misreading it, not paying enough attention. If I am, I'm, I'm sorry. But he, he feels a little curmudgeon-y about this world of college basketball. And I, I actually don't blame him for it, but he does seem a little uh, – a little grumpy about the way this sport is evolving in a similar way to the football as well. 
Well, yeah, because, I mean, like, that's kind of been the big story in, in football right now is the kind of the old guard of football coaches are retiring because they just don't want to kind of deal with this this new era of football. And I, I do think that there's probably, you know, Altman's in the old guard of basketball coaches, but he I also think that he's one of the more competitive guys that I've ever met. And I also think that he cares about his ultimate legacy. Like mm-hmm. he's not going to, he's not going to talk about that, but you know, sniffing the final four back in 2017 and being, you know, on the same podiums consistently as Mike Krzyzewski and Roy Williams and all those guys, like, you know, if, if he, if, if he were to have ever gotten back to that point or to, you know, sustain that success, you know, he's putting together a hall of fame career. And so I, I think that he's kind of caught in between these two things of like, he's not exactly enjoying the ride right now, but also I think he really doesn't want to be done. And the the one thing that's been interesting this year, and I will say talking to, uh, you know, people around the team and some players, like he has been noticeably um, more upbeat and positive to the players hmm. um, this year. Um, I was talking to Jason Kalist about that and he was like, well, that's just the player, you know, 10 years later from when I played, you know, you have to kind of be nicer and more upbeat and coddle them a little bit more. You know, that might've just been an old head kind of trying to sound like he was tough back in the day, but um, you know, that was also earlier in the season before the Ducks lost, you know, a handful (laughs) of games. So, you know, we'll, 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 we'll see how it is, but yeah, I, I just think that this is a really important stretch coming up for them because you know, if if Altman can pull off another miracle and and show that he's, he's game for this, uh, I, think that he has a bunch of years left at Oregon but at the same time like they're kind of coming up at an injuncture here and they need to start putting putting proof down on the court yeah we'll have to get an update on that uh you lose a couple games in the regular season the conference season uh I don't know if you're feeling as uh, supportive or happy as you once were when you were (laughs) thriving in the non-conference we look forward to the reporting dude great stuff I've been a member for a long time you're killing it i5corridor.com i-5corridor.com Dot com. Good article on the Hello to Michigan. I like how you end it there with the, uh, you remember this moment? Get ready for it because it's going to bring back some animosity. Tyson Alger on Twitter, at Tyson Alger. Give him a follow. Sign up for the website. Thanks so much for joining us, Tyson. It's good to have you back on, and uh, we look forward to the great work. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you. All right, there we go. Tyson Alger, slow starting interview. I thought Swag had abandoned me. I thought he hadn't even gotten back and made a phone call no sorry for some reason the the volume didn't kick up when i slid the slider up so you slid the slider yeah but we got it figured out good stuff from him uh let's talk about a couple things he noted there next all right good stuff from tyson alger i i thought he summed it up really well swag he um and asking him you know what have you made of all of this realignment stuff as it gets noisy again with the report that the big 10 and the sec are merging to form an advisory council to examine the last couple years and going forward the future of the college football playoff. There's a report that Tony Petiti wants this to go to 16 teams. I believe the Big Ten has 16 teams, correct? And the SEC has 18? Or uh, vice, no, or the, is it flipped? It's 18, 18 in the Big Ten. And then 16 in the SEC. So he is advocating to expand from 12 to 16. Uh, the report I saw said that that seems like it's pretty logical and probably the way this is going. And then the holdup is you have Kirk Schultz of Washington State, who's representing the Pac-2 with Oregon yeah. State, saying, uh, not so fast. We want guarantees of voting and revenue rights. And, of course, to no shocking development, the other people don't feel the same way. 
this is just a big jumbled mess. And it's ugly. Yeah. And whether you're a fan of Washington, Oregon, or Washington State, I think we can all agree, as Tyson said, it just sucks. It sucks. It's not, it's moving more, it's even it's moving even more corporate and to a point where I think my take a couple of years ago was going to end up being right, where it just becomes a Big Ten SEC thing. It's like, hey, we got all the good teams. We're just going to do our own thing. It could be. We'll see. The only thing there, I, I, if you're if you start leaving out specific and large regions of the country, what region of the country with the Big Ten and SEC would you be leaving out at this point? They have the East Coast, the Midwest, they have the South, and they've got the West Coast now. They've got them all covered. Now, pockets of people. Pockets of people. Washington State fans, Oregon State I mean, you fans. Only have, what do you have? You only have two Texas teams in there. Uh, all eight Cal fans, the four Stanford <laughs> fans that are real. Like that's, That is it. If you're generally just a college football fan and you love big-time college football or you're a fan of these programs and these conferences, you're you're still going to clean up pretty well with the numbers. Yeah. I just I don't know if you can exclude like you you are flat out excluding a large number of other teams. Oh, who are you excluding? Run them down. Clemson? Are you talking about Miami? Are you talking about Florida? Who are you talking about? Well, here? if you go from, there are a hundred and some odd, divi- I mean. Right, but we don't care about most of those. So, like, what are four or five teams are you talking about? Because if Florida State gets their way, Miami, yeah, Clemson, State, Clemson, North Carolina, they're all going to be able to legally break away if they get their way. Utah. Utah's in the Big 12. Are it's, they in? Well, yeah, they're in the Big 12. That's a, Well, I understand, but they're. Are you talking about they're in, in? I don't know. If, if it's just the SEC and the and the Big Ten. Do you trust that those two entities are going to have the best interests of no. everybody when no. they work together? Because I don't. So the only thing will be because they got to sign a new, they gotta, they're still negotiating the, new, the next TV deal, which is why we're having this goofy two years of. It's a weird two year expanded period. Expanded playoffs, yeah. but then the Pac 12 fell apart and yep. the way that the voting is set up. So when the new. TV deal and the and the new extension of the college football playoff until it's named something else. Mm-hmm. Then the SEC and the and the Big Ten can get things the way that they want in there, but they gotta convince their TV partners that by excluding all of these other teams, that it's still worthwhile to them. That that's who they gotta sell. They don't have to sell the public. They don't. They gotta sell the TV execs that. They can, that there'll still be as many millions of people tuning in for it, knowing that you're starting the field with 3016. Well, these, the three conferences might merge together too in the Pac 2, the Big 12, and the ACC. Again, I don't, I don't know if the Pac 12 will be included in that. Maybe they won't be. It's an optimistic view for, for sure. But the ACC, the Big 12, I think you examine the landscape, you kind of say, hey, they're working together. Why don't we work together? And the fact that the Big Ten and the SEC specifically are only working together, that leaves me worrisome. Now, I, I asked last night, do you trust they'll make it better or worse? I guess that depends on the perspective. I, I think the general health of college football 
We love watching it. We're all in. It's getting huge eyeballs. But when you keep changing everything and the landscape evolves from regions don't matter anymore, pageantry of this stuff doesn't matter. It's corporatized, bastardized version of mini NFL, 16-team playoff, here we go, eight from this, eight from that. You get away from your identity. I, I think it's a dangerous game you play, and I think it's you're already in that territory. But I think you just make it even more dangerous. So we'll see, man. Jesse Simonton and Tyson Alger both kind of echoing similar things of it's messy and it's ugly, and I we have no real feel if it's going to get better. But those two conferences, it gets better if you're a fan of teams in those conferences. I don't know if it, if it gets better for the health of the sport. Uh, we'll wrap it up. Coming up next, Dirt and Sprague. On the fan. I thought it was a great moment last night. I watched the Grammys. And uh, my 12-year-old quite enjoyed the performances. She likes live music. And uh, the one that stuck out for all of us, Tracy Chapman with Luke Combs performing Fast Car. Wow. And uh, that song is now number one all over the place. Good grief. So Tracy Chapman back at the... Uh, missed it entirely. My uh, You missed my, the entire award show. My youngest nephew, mm. uh, who plays basketball, had a middle school tournament out in Hillsborough, very close. On a Sunday night. That makes sense. Uh, so Sunday... Yeah. Well, Sunday afternoon. So it was Saturday, Sunday. Oh, okay. So the last game got over at like 6. And so then I came back. I needed to cook uh, cook some food for uh, for the actress for the week since I'm leaving, and she's starting rehearsals now on her next performance. You're meal prepping. Uh, so I was doing that. I still had production work to do for the station. I flipped on the end of the Blazer game, and so by that time, it's like, okay, whatever. Completely don't even know who won anything. Don't even know about nothing. Well, Tracy Chapman's performance of Luke Combs was pretty good. Okay. Uh, you also had Taylor Swift piss people off again. She won Artist of the Year, her fourth. That's the most in Grammy history. No other artist has won four. Uh, album of the Year, I believe, is the... Uh, album of the Year? I believe she won Album of the Year for okay. the fourth time. So that upsets people because it's well, it's Taylor Swift, so let's get upset about Taylor Swift. Uh, but overall, good night. Good, good night of music. Uh, the Blazer game was going on as well. And so I thought that was a uh, a nice story for Tracy Chapman. She looks like he really appreciated and had fun out on the Grammy stage. Uh, we also, I didn't get to it today. Maybe we talk about it tomorrow. Swag. Swag. What? We got a Belichick in Seattle. What's he going to do? Be the DC? Oh, have you not seen this? No. Oh. Yeah. No, not Bill. Oh. Steve. <laughs> His son. I think it's Steve Belichick. He got hired. Jed Fish hired him as the DC. Wow. Yeah. He's a lick the air DC, too. He's like a Wilcox. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, uh, what's going on? It's intense. We got a Belichick in Seattle with Jed Fish. Uh, and we got more of the Super Bowl this week to get to, Swigard. Not a whole lot going on. Maybe if you're an NHL, NBA fan, you got some games that are on as options. Uh, tomorrow night. Well, I'll touch it on tomorrow. Huge game in the NHL. You're going to touch it tomorrow? Yeah. I can't wait for you to touch it. Uh, that's going to do it for us. We have four interviews to go back and check out. Yes. Jesse Simonton, Michael Lombardi, Sean Hyken, Tyson Alger. I've been a podcasting fiend here this morning. It's I've given you a lot of work today. It's almost all up. We have a lot more to get into throughout the week. We'll keep diving in more and more to the Super Bowl. Dive into some more college football dealing, some NBA stuff as well. It is going to be a busy week here. 
Thanks for hanging out with us on the YouTube stream. Chiming in at the Vancouver Ford text line. And uh, we'll talk to you guys bright and early tomorrow morning. Dirt and Sprague will catch you 6 to 9 a.m. on Portland's Sports Leader 1080 The Van. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.